Most educational experts agree that quality teaching is the single most important factor in improving educational outcomes for students. Improving that instruction, then, is perhaps the number one thing K-12 leaders can do. Kristen Huggins, an associate professor of educational leadership at WSU Vancouver, has always been interested in the field of leadership. She sits down and talks to us about how to develop better leaders that can help improve instruction. Plus, we struggle to say the word rurality. Education Eclipse starts now. Education, news, and research. These are the conversations happening inside education, athletic training, sports science, and sport management that are going to transform each. It's Education Eclipse from Washington State University. My guest today is Kristen Huggins, Associate Professor of Educational Leadership at WSU Vancouver. Dr. Huggins is doing fun and important work on leadership development for instructional improvement. It's become the focus of both her research agenda and her teaching. And we're glad to touch upon that and more. So Dr. Huggins, thank you so much for joining me on Education Eclipse. Well, thank you for having me, Brandon. So in general terms, what does instructional improvement mean? Because your research is on leadership development for instructional improvement. So I wanna just set a real clear base for what that means first. So, instructional leadership for instructional improvement, or some people would say it's instructional leadership, um, is really about uh, meeting the Common Core State standards and the next-gen standards because those standards are very ambitious. And so how do teachers get supported in doing that work? And uh, how can leaders help them with that work? So some of that comes through professional development but some of that comes through coaching instructional coaching and depending on the size of the district um, how much coaching they might have available and how the leader can facilitate that that work or help them assist them with that work or develop other leaders that have the capacity to do that work so obviously, uh, Common Core, for example, it's been highly politicized, and there are various lists out there on the pros and cons and so on and so right. forth. So this capacity to be able to deal with the change, um, you mentioned the professional development. I mean, how big of an issue what was that really when when it's plopped in the laps of, of teachers or other educators? Or what is it that we were staring at in terms of uh, deficiency? So I don't, I don't know that it's deficiency. I think that, you know, teaching is both art and craft and that like any uh, profession you have to develop over time and so how are uh, teachers getting what what the field is now calling getting better at getting better and so uh, how are they thinking about that and so when we I mean if I think about next gen I mean when you look at the cross-cutting practices I mean that's all the way up to modeling modeling is a struggle for PhD students, right? And so how do you bring that kind of conceptual understanding into a high school, right? Where you develop students' understanding of science over time so that they could actually get to some kind of modeling, right? And so I think that Common Core and NextGen are, are definitely ambitious, but I think we have to reach for providing those opportunities to students as best that we can. And there are various capacities. Now, some of it comes with experience and in the classroom and those kinds of things, but it's also wrapping your head around how that would work in my classroom. For example, Common Core Math 
ask the, one of the practices that you justify your reasoning to others within a context of being with other students. And math teachers may have not even experienced that in their own schooling, right? So we're asking teachers to do things that they probably never experienced in their own schooling. And so how do I first wrap my head around that? And then how do I facilitate that pedagogically in my class? And that's that's complex, right? And so I, even if I've been teaching for 25 years, right? So there's this the standard that's saying this is the complexity of the standards we're going to have now because developmentally we can get students here and we know this. Uh, how do we help teachers get students developmentally there? Um, so how do we help adults learn, right? To So they can help children learn and provide those opportunities. So somebody who's in the ed leadership program at WC Vancouver, obviously looking at it from the lens of an ed leader. So let's just take a building administrator, like a, a principal or maybe a superintendent. Tell me about your research in, 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 in that role, if it touches upon that. So, okay. If, if we take a principal, um, it, we're really now, so there was a time after standards-based reform where there was this emphasis on instructional leadership, but now we're in leadership for learning. Mm-hmm. So the, the really the emphasis is you're the lead learner amongst other learners. Mm-hmm. And so, and that because the, what is being asked in education is ambitious right now, we also need to develop leadership in others. That d- doesn't necessarily mean that every teacher needs to be a leader but that there do need to be some teacher leaders. And so who are going to be those key people? Who are those key people that have capacity in certain areas? So, I mean, we're seeing generational differences now uh, where we used to overemphasize experience. Well, we have new teachers coming in with technology experience that would have high level engagement for students, but maybe the the more senior teacher has the content expertise, right? So you how do you match those people up to really collaborate on getting to these ambitious standards. So, I mean, we're in a world, of course, of assessment and measurement. And so, I mean, how, how does one identify? Do you, do you just know it when you see it? Or are we, are we looking at, well, we know that this, this person is a leader, you know, in, in instruction because the test scores are good. I mean, how, how does somebody, how are they able to identify that, hey, they, they have what it takes, you know, they, they just, whether they're new or not? Well, actually, um, that does lead into my research because in our model, there are three things that a, a leader needs to do. He needs to create a culture for teaching and learning. So there has to be a culture for teaching and learning. And even in the AWSP framework, which is the principal framework that's used the most in the state to uh, evaluate principals, the number one criteria is culture. What is the culture in the building? And is the culture moving towards improving teaching and learning? If that's not number one and that's not occurring, then a lot of other things don't really lend themselves to happening in a building. So in the model, that's one of the things we develop leaders to do. And then another is that you make decisions based on data. No, you don't know it when you see it. You might think you know it, you know, but that's a gut instinct, right? And so how do you collect data on you know it when you see it? And what's that data going to be? And it and you know it when you see it because you have an instructional model that you're using mm. and you're collecting data on that instructional model and you're clear about that instructional model and we're all we all know what it looks like not just i know what it looks like when i see it so we have a collective ownership of i know it when i see it because we're collecting data on it 
everybody in this building is collecting data on it. And then the third thing is, is that the, that I'm developing leadership in others. As a principal, there's the what what's being called for in education now is ambitious, it, and that's what they call it in teaching and learning: ambitious practices. And so, how do other people help others, people that have capacity in teaching slope, right? Maybe a principal doesn't have capacity in teaching slope, and we know that slope is often one of the linchpins in Algebra 1, right? So someone that has capacity in teaching slope in Algebra, they should be the one that should be facilitating the Algebra 1 professional learning community to move that linchpin that students often can't get over and helping other teachers. Yeah, I wasn't able to get over slope. Uh, so <laughs> I, I went into communications for a reason. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, so that's very interesting. Take me through the start of your research, What, how you gather data, um, you know, the kind of things that you had to read, primary and secondary research, whatever. Um, take me through that process. Some of my work, I, my work's been in various areas, but it's all been focused in on how do we help develop leadership for instructional improvement. And so there is some work being done on preparing educational leaders, but my work stems from the distributed leadership framework, um, and some would call it a theory, which says that leadership actually is distributed. It's it's based on just the theory of distributed cognition and that leadership is actually happening and building, just like it's happening in any organization outside of just the sole formal leader, right? People are leading in various ways, whether it's they're leading around the water cooler and, and moving the culture in one way or the other. I'm always, I'm leading the way to the buffet table, for example. <laughs> Whatever, you, you, people are leading, right? They're, they're making, and they could be leading in ways that aren't helpful to the direction that the mm. school culture needs to go. And so acknowledging that leadership happens and then how can you take that capacity and move it in the direction that we need to go for those student learning outcomes? So how do I develop it? How do I have those conversations? In our field, we believe that leadership is a discrete knowledge, skills, and disposition set. People come here and get certified. They have to come to formal training. But leadership happens without formal training. And so how do people get those knowledge, skills, and dispositions when they get a, a job like or a role or a title like department chair. I'm going to make a baseball coaching little league reference That's right fine. now. You know, I often tell the kids that I coach that there will be a disparity in talent. Mm -hmm. But what we're trying to do is turn their talent into a skill, right? We're trying to take something that might be natural for some and, you know, maybe to a certain degree less. And we're trying to, whatever whatever it can become, mm -hmm. you know, so you will get some people that have these, it's seemingly just innate um, leadership ability, mm -hmm. right? The ability to, to build a consensus. And so, yeah, there might be a formal process, but you're helping some of them that are are really good leaders to to be able to apply that to whatever. And then maybe some that, that don't have that natural leadership ability to, to at least give them capacity. So I think that's a good thing. Right. And what we don't want in education, which we see quite a bit, is pockets of excellence. And that's an equity mm -hmm. issue, right? So 
if I have a lot of capacity, I'm the fourth grade teacher with a lot of capacity, but there are four fourth grade teachers and all four fourth grade teachers need to have as the maximum capacity to provide the stu optimum student learning that, that is available to them in this school. So I, I, that's where it becomes, uh, I need you to lead. You don't get to be awesome in your own little world kind of thing because we, we're public education. And so this is going to be something that I'm also going to ask you to share your knowledge, skills, and dispositions with others and facilitate their learning and growth and development. Very insightful. Uh, of course, I, I am. It is my own little world that I'm awesome in. That's <laughs> that's about it. Uh, I know. I know. People want own, their own awesome little worlds. <laughs> it's like it's like I, I'm a phenomenal singer when I'm alone. You know. Um, so so speak of awesome though. You you have been a well written faculty member and you have a book about developing rural school leaders. Seems like a lot of focus right now is is on rural, uh, whether we're talking about rural doctors, you know, access to medicine, things like that. So so what was your focus? Why was your focus on, on rural? Uh, what unique challenges are there to being a, a rural educator that you thought you, you'd be able to add to the body of work that was out there? First of all, there's not a ton of research done in leadership development in practice. So uh, people usually develop through preparation and then they become a principal in a building and then you, ne you need to perform, <laughs> not develop, you need to perform, right? But then we've distributed leadership among individuals and so how are those people developing? And then to be qu quite honest, principals still need to develop even after they've been prepared and been principals, right? And they are an underserved population as far as professional learning. Unless they seek it out on their own, very often they aren't being developed by others. Not developed. Supervised maybe. Um, their supervisor probably picks up their call when they call the central office. Those Troubleshooting, but not necessarily being developed. So there hasn't been quite a, uh, very much research on it, um, and there's been more now that there's more research on principal evaluation. So uh, if someone's evaluated and they're not where they need to be, then how do we develop them to be where they need to be to meet the outcomes that are ambitious now? And so uh, I was interested in rule because uh, there was a lot of research that came after No Child Left Behind in urban sectors, and uh, but I also work at the land grant, right? And so I have my PhDs from Texas A&M. I believe in the land grant mission, and rurality has been um, under researched and. So how do we pull resources? And, and it's a resource issue often. Resource issue in human capital, social capital. So if, if I don't have the resources not only within the school, but also to send you to professional learning, or I don't have a professional development specialist, or I don't have an instructional coach, I, whatever. How, do we, how does rurality pull its resources? And so um, actually the research I did was with a 12 district consortium of mm -hmm. school districts. Um, and we cross-populated coaches who had been experienced leaders in one district and they coached leaders in another district. So you, you're not my supervisor now and my job's not at stake, 
and you you're coaching me and they we did this in a research practice partnership so they had a researcher beside them and a coach from an experienced principal from another district and then the leader who was usually a novice or a developing leader so a teacher leader that was becoming an instructional coach or an instructional coach becoming an assistant principal or principal and then they were being coached um, through the action research process if anybody comes away with just that rurality is a hard word, then they've missed, unfortunately, some of the cool stuff you're doing. <laughs> that is a difficult word, by the way, rurality. Rurality. What's something that stood out in the course of doing what you do that you, you never would have expected when you had jumped in? Um, that you're like, you know, I, I thought I knew everything about the world, and mm-hmm. this one really, this one really hit me. And I can edit out the long pause. <laughs> That people struggle to develop over time, that sometimes people stop developing because they get, stop getting press from the outside. Mm. And that uh, that was because I'm an improvement work, so I'm an improver, right? So I have, even in my own life, I have skills and things that I'm working on to improve. And uh, I think that was... That, that certain people got to a level of development and then struggled to get over that. And so one of the things we've been trying to pinpoint is, I mean, the, the title of the book is about transformative um, leadership coaching. And, and what is that? One of the things we're trying to decipher is what is that, that space in which they actually move to transformation, right? Instead of just development a little, a little, that they actually start seeing their work differently. That obviously would have to vary from person to person mm-hmm. uh, when or if that happens. Um, is there anything that you notice that is a is, has been a catalyst for moving somebody? I mean, that, that might be the magic answer. You know, you might have just solved all the societal ills, but, <laughs> but that has moved from progress to transformation? So I think our model, uh, based upon the funding that we had, we only had two years, and I mean, it's pretty well known in educational leadership that change of any substantial of any you know substance really is three to five years so we didn't have the funding to do to go to that third year but uh, I, I think one of the things we definitely learned was the press of someone that has experience versus someone that knows the theory I mean it's the aspirational versus the actual right and actual can often get you jaded over time and aspirational can get you shooting for the, you know, the moon. Um, and that's kind of one of our taglines is shoot for the moon, fall among the stars. Because it's like, you still have to be aspirational, right? Like that's a, that the backlash on theory, like that's good in theory. Well, how do we get theory to work? How do we get theory, not just theory to practice, but how do we make theory work for us versus just working and never addressing the aspirational. And so I, I think that's where the tension lies and we see that's where research is going is how can research and practice work together and in tandem because both need the press. Like, this is really what practice is, okay? I hear you, I hear what you're saying practice is, but this is what the aspiration is. How can we get closer together where practice even gets better and theory actually gets better? It gets grounded in practice. So 
that's where we are right now. And one of the things we're looking at is, you know, with the database decision making is how do we create practical measures? Because the measures we want to use are going to take time and they're going to take large data sets. But a teacher or a principal needs a measurement for tomorrow, right? And so what is the measurement? How do they decipher between measurement? So is this the time to do a survey? Is this a time to go and do observations? Should we do walkthroughs before we actually do 15-minute observations? What? When is the time to do the method? And what is the method that I'm supposed to do, right? So it's because it's in the doing, right? Because we're in practice. We're in the doing not in the thinking, which is where we are, right? So we can help them think more quickly about the method to get that data that they need to solve that problem. So how do we help them with that through a practical measure? And that's some of the work that people are doing as well. But really it's about getting this practice partnership together. And ours was specifically focused on leadership development among these 12 consortium schools. And we were just providing our capacity. So one of the things that was interesting was how much capacity and rurality a researcher does provide, right? Because they come in and they can press um, development to another level. I think you just wanted to use the word rurality again. To I like show. rurality. I, I, you know, I rurality. Now everybody, no matter what, I mean, everybody's going to have their strengths and their weaknesses. Um, but was there ever a leader that you just were like, man, they they just have it, right? They just get it. They they inspired you. You thought there's somebody that you maybe aspired to be like. Um, just curious, and you can be specific on. If, if somebody comes to mind. One of the things that I'm currently thinking about because of our students is um, the notion of contextual acuity. Uh. And what the reason why I'm responding that way is because often I look at leaders and I go, oh, I know why that leader works in that context. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a business organization or an educational organization, I go, oh, that's that person's a perfect leader for that. For that. Yes. And so if our students want to be in a certain place, whatever that place is, or a certain kind of organization, are they the leader for that? Or can they actually have contextual acuity and you can be a leader in multiple yeah. places? And so one of the things I think about, especially when I hear tech leaders, I wonder if a tech leader could actually come into an educational organization and be successful or vice versa. And so uh, is it a really about your content knowledge or is it really about your capacity as a leader? Can you? And often people do generalize that. So we have seen CEOs of large urban schools being taken over by someone appointed by a mayor. That's happened in history. But the transference of leadership capacity didn't actually work out sometimes. And then sometimes it wasn't as as poor as other places, right? So I think more often than not, it's not a person that I admire. I think it's someone that I see took on a context and took that context. Uh, currently, I'm studying a leader, which I am I'm, I'm just fascinated with watching this leader right now in this educational organization because he's very aspirational and I'm wondering if he can take his context to where he believes he can take it and so far 
he's been able to strategize the situation in such a way that I am fascinated. And I've, I mean, I've studied tons of leaders. And at this point in my career, I never thought I would get this opportunity. So if, if you were to meet this leader, you'd be like, I don't know why you're so fascinated with him, but I'm fascinated with him because of the complexity of his mm -hmm. context and the factors that are at play. And I, you know, I, I want him to be successful, you know, but it, it's a high risk situation. Right. And so, you know, I, I, I get to go and study this person and who knows what's going to happen. And I'm hoping, cause it's an educational organization, if he can take it where he thinks he can take it, those students have a very bright future ahead of them. No, he knows you're watching him, right? He's not like a monkey in the zoo. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. He 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 totally he he, he is he, he is consented. <laughs> it is under IRB. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, let me just ask if there's anything else that you have uh, weighing on your mind or something you're burning to say, and and then um, and then we'll close. I enjoy leadership. I am fascinated by it. I received a leadership scholarship in my undergraduate to go to the university I chose, I have always been fascinated with leadership and I am very thankful that I get to research it. And you can say the word rurality, which, <laughs> which is difficult. Yes, rurality. <laughs> See, I, I think you've loved it that time. I can say urban too. <laughs> So, rurality. 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 Uh, well, uh, Kristen Huggins, thank you very much. Uh, Associate Professor of Ed Leadership here at the uh, most gorgeous WSU campus, WSU <laughs> Vancouver. A uh, little hazy today. Can't see the mountain. Some uh, wildfire smoke. But uh, gorgeous campus. Great research. Always a good time to, uh, to chat with you about that. And surely down the road we'll touch base again. Okay. Thank you, Brandon. You've been listening to Education Eclipse, a College of Education podcast from Washington State University.